Hello, everyone. This is Jim coming to you again from the pandemic. I thought I would uh, record a follow-up thing this evening. It's pretty late. It's like 10.30. I'm not going to be very cogent here, so I'm just going to apologize for that in advance. had a pretty good day. Wore myself out. Uh, I recorded the last episode of this podcast uh, from my car. Um, Yeah, sitting up in Land's End, looking down over the Pacific Ocean. It was beautiful. Uh, by the time I was done with that, uh, yeah, by the time that 30 minutes was up, I was so sweaty. I was just dripping sweat. I was sitting in my car with the windows up because there were people walking by. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I had, I had to like, it was just scorching. I had to like get out of the car and run on the beach to cool off. Just how hot I was. Uh, for any case, uh, it was good. I ran on like I think pretty close to the entire length of Ocean Beach, the whole way from one end to the other and back. Um, yeah, the first leg of it was pretty brutal because I was going against the wind. Like the wind was coming in from the south. And I'm, I'm running towards the south and it's coming in off the water. And it was just, it was like fighting uphill the whole way. And it certainly didn't help that like I'm running on sand. Like when I say I run on the beach, like you see what the joggers do. The joggers are all running down by the water line where the water has like, like the, the, the sand is wet. So it's packed down. Um, so it's it's not that hard to run. I'm running like up away from the water, like up where the sand is just, you know, like, and that's a whole other, where it's not packed down and wet. Like it is just, you can't go that fast. It actually kind of forces you to pace yourself. And uh, it, it is low impact, but uh, you know, it's it's definitely working out running muscles. I don't think I've ever run out, run, I don't think I've ever worked out before. Yeah, run out, worked out, can't talk. I said, not going to be cogent here. Anyway, uh, so running against the wind, and I noticed, like, I have this, like, this this face covering thing. Like, so I have, like, reusable masks, and I've, I've got some sort of hunter's thing you put over your... But I, I have, like, this, I don't know what you call it. It's, like, some sort of cylinder of, like, really stretchy, elastic material. I got it at the Grand Canyon. When I was at the Grand Canyon last May, it was it was really, really cold out. Um, like it was like snowing, it was like blustery. Uh, not what I'd experienced. Like it was the third time at the Grand Canyon. The last the, the last two times I was there, uh, it was it's just Arizona, you know, scorching heat. And it's northern Arizona, so it's not quite Phoenix. Uh, Flagstaff is actually pretty nice. But it, it was hot the last couple of times I was there. When I was there last May, it was it was just freezing. I just dressed, bundled up for winter the whole time. Like we were there for a few nights, maybe two nights. I was just like in the lodge by the by the fireplace as much as I could be, just like curling up with a book. It was not go down. Let's do some hiking. Just go to the rim, look down, spit into it, and then get the hell out of there. You know.
Uh, yeah, in any case, let's see. Yeah, so it was cold, so I went to the gift shop. I had to, like, I, I was not prepared for it. I didn't have, like, a hat. Um, didn't think I needed one. It was like, we're driving across the country. We weren't planning on, like, stopping anywhere cold. So, um, so I found this, like, this, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a little cylinder of elastic material, and you can, like, put it over your face, over your head. Um, it's very breathable. Like, it's very breathable, but it actually is insulating in a weird way. You know, it's very porous. Like, it's not keeping out any viruses on its own. But I like it because I can use it with a mask. I can take, like, the, re the disposable masks that I have or the reusable masks that I have. Again, brain's not working. And those things just kind of hang off people's faces. I really, like, when I go out and see facial coverings that people are using, I don't understand how... how they're doing any good in a lot of cases because it like like people have these like these reusable masks like cloth masks and they're like elastic bands going around the ears but they're not that there's not a lot of tension to them they're just kind of like dangling off the person the lower half of the person's face and it's like if, if you kind of like move to the side and like peek in you can like see their lips moving almost you know you get at just the right angle it's like I can see your mouth. Like air is just flowing in freely. Like how is this thing protecting you at all? And so I, I like I like wearing one of those and then I put this elastic head covering, whatever it is. It has like a print of the Grand Canyon on it at night. Um I just put that over my uh over the mask and it kind of like clamps it against my face. It gives it some tension. I feel like I'm doing more than just the mask hanging off my ears. Anyway, I, uh, I'm really glad I bought this damn thing. I almost didn't. I was like, do I want to spend 15 bucks on some, like, head covering that I might never use again? I've used it, like, every day for the last two months. And whenever I go out, it, it's the mainstay. It's the thing I'm always using. Um, it's also good because it, like, holds in my hair. My hair has gotten out of control. It's just long and it definitely, definitely needs to be cut. It's like uneven in length, but you know, the length, the unevenness of the length only made sense when it was, you know, eight inches shorter than it is now. Now it's just that like you look at it like that doesn't make sense. Like, why is your hair cut that way? Um, but I took this thing down to the beach and I'm really glad that I did, uh, because I'm wearing that. Uh, I don't wear a mask when I run on the beach. I just, I just wear this, this head covering thing, this Grand Canyon thing. And I never would have thought this, but it's really windy, uh, over on Ocean Beach, like overlooking the Pacific. Like the winds coming off are just crazy. So I'm glad I had this face covering on, uh, because otherwise I would have eaten like probably a pound of sand while I was running. Like I would just inhaled it into my lungs, would have ground my teeth down with the grit of the damn thing. Like it was, um, yeah, I was really glad I had that thing on. Uh, I'll probably just keep using it too, even if there's not like a pandemic. If I'm going to go running on the, on the beach over there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing over there. I'm really surprised that there are not more people. Um, like I've seen pictures of, 
like in terms of beaches, like Ocean Beach is it in San Francisco. It is like, it is like the biggest beach. It's the, uh, on the Pacific and it's, it's gorgeous. But I've been over there every day this week to go jogging and I have, there's hardly anyone there. I'm sure that will not be true for the, for the holiday weekend. Like the, it's July 2nd. I'm sure a couple days from now it's going to be madness. There's going to be no social distancing. I'm sure there's going to be, I think after this holiday, um, we're probably going to see like a spike in coronavirus cases. I've heard people call it Rona now. Like we've given it like an affectionate nickname, like it's a hurricane or something. Jesus. Anyway. Yeah, so I actually went over there this evening and I sat there in my car and just uh, kind of looked out over the um over the beach. Kind of watched the sunset, even though it was really overcast. And, you know, uh went down and walked on the beach. Really, again, there was like nobody there. No one there. Like the beach was just clear. There was nobody down there. Um, but after dark, I kind of went over to the fire pits. Um, where they have maybe a dozen or so just pits where you can, you can burn firewood if you want to. And people were huddled around those and in their, their little cliques. And, uh, yeah, gotta say that's pretty awesome. I wish I, um, wish I had a posse of people that would, I could just go hang out at the beach with. Um, what else is going on? Actually, I've still got my shoes on from the beach and they're full of sand. Like right now I can barely move my feet in my shoes because they're just, I'm going to go empty these things out on my ugh, balcony. I don't think I've ever actually stepped outside. I wonder how noisy this will be. There's actually a lot of ambient noise out of outside of my place. Oh, oh, look at that moon. Oh, that's a lot of sand. Nice night out. Anyway, no, I'm really glad that I, like Ocean Beach is not that crowded, so I can actually go over there and just be very comfortable. Like I can kind of let my guard down, even though I'm sitting in a very public place. Because uh, people can't move fast on sand. Like the thing is, first of all, the neighborhood I live in is very, very urban. There's like almost no parks. Like, in terms of you're just looking at square mileage or square blockage, like square mileage. There's no, you wouldn't talk about parks in San Francisco, like with square mileage, except for maybe Golden Gate, which is, that's over by Ocean Beach. But where I'm at, like, even if I were to go out and just sit in a park somewhere on a bench, like, I couldn't, like, let my guard down. I wouldn't pull out my phone and start coming through things. I wouldn't read. I wouldn't put my headphones in and just listen to music and veg out because you can't, you can't count on like suddenly you turn your head and somebody's stumbling towards you like a homeless guy, like with sacks over his shoulder. And he's like ah, 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 coughing at you. 
just no idea if there's even a virus thing going around. Like, no. But over there, I, I can just, like, kind of sit down on the beach and just sort of space out and, you know, as long as I glance around every now and then, like, no, nobody's going to, like, making a beeline for me. There's no homeless people stumbling around the beach or... It's, it's safe. The one downside is it's, like, all the way across the city from me. Uh, so it's probably a five or six mile drive, which is not, uh, it's not a simple thing to do. Um, yeah, just the way San Francisco is set up. There's not like a highway or an interstate or a freeway. There's nothing like that going through the city. So from where I am to the other end, there's, there's nothing like that. If you're passing through on the 101 and you go over the Golden Gate Bridge, like from the south, like you're basically driving through the city. Um, there's some routes where they've kind of minimized the number of traffic lights you have to hit, but you know, not really. It's at best, it's like a boulevard that you kind of cruise down. And that, that takes you to the Golden Gate Bridge. That doesn't take you from where I live to Ocean Beach. Um, essentially, you just have to drive through the city to cut across it in some way. Which, uh, with everybody sheltering in place right now, that's not too bad. Um, certainly hasn't bothered me, but I mean, it's not the easiest thing to do. It takes some time. Maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes each way, getting over there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird getting around the city. Like, the streets are just so illogical. Like, if you didn't know the history, you would look at the way the city was laid out and be like, why the hell was it done this way? What was the rhyme or reason to any of this? Okay, so like, here's a little bit of like San Francisco history. Market Street. Uh, so I live in Soma. That's a short for south of Market. So it's it's a grid of streets that are south of this, this major artery that kind of cuts uh, through the city. Um, yeah, it, it runs, um, it starts like at the water. Uh, I say on the northeast and goes southwest. So it cuts down to the left. And everything to the south of that is this grid of streets that are perpendicular and parallel to Market Street. And north of Market Street is a separate grid of streets that they're like angled about 60 degrees, uh, like tilted. So they're not at the same angle. Uh, they don't run parallel to Market Street. They like branch off. So if you're crossing Market Street, if you're going north, like you'll come to Market and you'll have to like make a turn left or right. Uh, like you'll have to like, go off on one diagonal or another, and then you're on a new grid of streets, uh, like up in the financial district. So Market Street was the creation of a civil engineer named O'Farrell. And for any of you living in San Francisco, that's the, the street is named after. Um, remember his first name. But what he, he noticed was that there were, there were these plots of land north of Market, what is now the financial district, 
that were being allocated to people. Like they were being promised this property, that property. These were being sold or auctioned off, however they were doing it. And uh, I'm trying to remember this was before or after it became an American town, like after we took it from Mexico. Don't remember. Anyway, so there were, same thing was happening south of market. So there's this separate grid of plots of land that are being promised to people. And I guess they weren't coordinating. So at some point, um, this O'Farrell guy looked at the map and he realized that some of the land had been double promised. Like basically there was overlaps between the plots. Um, so he realized there was going to be a dispute. Like land had been sold to people south of market and land had been sold to people north of market who were going to end up coming up against each other. But it was going to be a dispute and a line had to be drawn. So he like just created Market Street to cut through this boundary. Like he drew a line somewhere between these two territories. And that was just meant to like settle all disputes. So if people said like, hey, I was supposed to get land on the other side of this road. He's like, well, there's a, this is where the road is now. So uh, tough shit. <coughs> so he did that to like head off um, conflicts. Kind of clever, I think. But anyway, like, I don't know how he would feel if he, if he could see it 170 years later looking at this damned road. Like it's anyway. So, yeah, so I, I go up Third Street from where I am, and then I turn on to Geary. Geary starts, it starts, uh, yeah, where Market meets Third Street. And I can basically just drive that all the way west to where it ends, and it ends over right uh, where Ocean Beach is. Um, yeah, so just cruise the whole length of that uh, is what I found. It goes through Union Square. Uh, yeah, but anyway, it's, it's, it's like any other road you're going to take. It's, it's like, it's pretty stop and go. Like, it's kind of like cruising through the city, like getting over there is kind of like the, that, there's that scene in Meet the Parents where like Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro are like in separate cars and they're trying to get home from like a restaurant and they have like their families in the car. And so they're like trying to like drag race each other, but they're being law abiding. So they're like flooring at one block and then like coming to a screeching halt at the red light. Light turns green and they go again and then they come to a screeching halt again. Like they're just on and off the whole way. Um, it's kind of like that getting over there. So I just kind of like sit back, put on some fucking Enya and just chill out you know I think you kind of have to do that like if you're, if you're living in a big city and this is not San Francisco is not the worst big city you could be in like there's definitely traffic jams like I actually when I was coming home yesterday like I got stuck on a three block stretch that I could not get out of I couldn't turn off of it for probably close to like 20 minutes felt like longer than that. Yeah, I think 20 minutes is about right. 
But I mean, you see people like in these situations just losing their shit. They're behind the wheel of the car, like getting angry, like yelling, they're honking. They're trying everything they do can to cut out of the road, like somehow get out of the situation. I don't know. I don't have the energy for that anymore. Just like sit back and just, just go. If it's going to take a long time, it's going to take a long time. Because that's the, like, that's the benefit of being unemployed. You don't have to like stress about getting anywhere on time. You can stress about deadlines. I like that's the benefit of being a Californian. Yeah, if you're in New York or New Jersey or, you know, Boston, you can, you can go batshit crazy and have a bunch of road rage. Apparently, like, in Detroit, when I was living there, like, Detroit is so poorly set up in every possible way. And it's, it's the motor city, like, it's the city of cars. There's no public transit. So it's just, there's actually a lot of traffic density. I remember, like, somebody did a study, like, what are the angriest cities in the United States? And, like, Detroit was way up there, largely because of the traffic. And, uh, I've forgotten that since I moved away, but I remember, like, when I was looking for a job, it's like, okay, what is the commute going to be? You know, how many miles do I have to go? It's like, if you have to commute five miles, that, that could be like a half an hour to 45 minutes, you know, during rush hour traffic. You have like a normal job. That's what I want. I, I don't, I don't care. I would love to be an engineer. I would love to go on being a programmer. Like, I think I would be really excited about starting to work again. If I could just work at odd hours, you know, if I could work, I don't know, let's say Saturday through Wednesday, like, like Thursday and Friday off, like just give me a couple days where most of the other people are like in their offices doing their thing and I can go out and just enjoy the elements of the city when all of the working stiffs are not there, you know. This is one thing I like about being unemployed. It's like just, I have this time. I can go out and kind of be a tourist. It's like I'm on vacation. I can see San Francisco like somebody would when they're on vacation. It's not weekend days, man. But anyway, uh, yeah, so trying to take advantage of that. That's why I'm going over to Ocean Beach. And yeah, going over to the Richmond district, there's a little bookstore that's open now. And they have a very, very good selection of stuff. They have like a, so I've been reading a lot of Carl Jung lately, as I've noted. And they have a Carl Jung section, which has, I actually picked up quite a few titles from them. Um, they had a lot of things that I, I, I don't think I could have found anywhere else, except for maybe online. And for cheaper than I could have found them online, surprisingly. Um, and it wasn't even just Carl Jung stuff. There's a lot of people who, I mean, Jung basically launched an entire branch of psychology that is still active. Like it was him and Freud, you know, he worked under Freud for a while, but eventually he broke from Freud. And Freud is, I think, more commonly known. Jung is a little bit more out there and weird and that he analyzed a lot of stuff that was kind of mystical and he wrote about religion which i mean everybody was telling him not to do those things uh like it's professional suicide don't don't nobody's going to take you seriously if you're writing about all this stuff 
like astrology and whatever else. Um, but I mean, the thing is, he, he had a more complex theory about what the unconscious was. So Freud is the one who popularized the unconscious. And he's basically like, the unconscious is kind of just this, this repressed thing in everybody's psyche. It's like it's repressed sexual desires and repressed aggressive tendencies. Uh, you know, we just shove all that down and it, you know, kind of becomes this, uh, entity that possesses us and, um, Jung had a more complicated theory about it than that. He, he said that the unconscious was um, source of all human creativity. You know, that it was uh, responsible for driving individual actions and it, it drove people to do novel things and to create things. And it, it would shape groups of people and shape communities of people and shape entire countries. It would shape politics. It would shape religion. You know, he thought it was responsible for most of what has uh, happened in human history. And he, he spent a lot of time analyzing all of that, looking at all that from a psychological lens of this, this unconscious. And people still study this actively. There's a lot of people that call themselves Jungian analysts or analytic psychologists because they, they sense, and I think correctly so, that there's there's truth to what Jung said, and there is like a, I don't know, there is there is some sort of reality to what he said that, that should be explored. Even if it doesn't help us understand like the world around us, it helps us understand our inner worlds. Um, so they have like a Jungian section at this bookstore in the Richmond district, and it, they have a lot of Young's writings, which I've, I've acquired all the ones that they had that I didn't already possess. And they have a lot of books by like people who are Jungian analysts. And a lot of those things are just about specific topics. Um, they're little small books, but they're basically like trying to like take Jung's ideas and, and build on them. So dream analysis, you know, looking at ancient mythology, what does it say about human psychology, our perception of death, our perception of love. Um, how do you analyze your dreams? All of these things. And there's a lot of these books that they have there which are out of print now. Like you can go online and find them, but they're not being produced anymore. And I've, I've taken to like looking for those books in particular. Um, when I was looking for books about San Francisco history, there's a few books you can get that will cover it. Like if you want to learn San Francisco history, uh, the way most people learn it, you can probably read Herbert Ashbery's, uh, the Barbary coast, uh, Tom Cole's book, a short history of San Francisco and anything by Richard Rands. Um, there's slender volumes that'll get you most of what you'd need to know to just talk to people but those are the ones that probably everyone has read and i realized like if you want to know novel facts about san francisco history you have to like find the books that nobody has anymore like they're they're out of print and they're rare and they're hard to come by those things are going to contain stories and knowledge that might not be anywhere else it might be lost at this point like it's 
maybe forgotten by people who used to know it. And that's what I think I'm, I'm kind of looking for now. Like there was a time when I was looking for the, there was a time when I just had no discernment whatsoever. Like 10 years ago, it's like I would just buy whatever books I thought were sounded interesting. Didn't matter if they were popular or not. I was like, oh, this looks good. I'll try this. And I've read a bunch of junk that I don't think really made any difference to me. Um, just kind of did stuff on a whim. And I kind of came to realize at some point, like a few years ago, like, just read the stuff that is most popular. Like, find the bestsellers. Find the authors that you've heard of. The books that everyone else is reading. Uh, read those. You know, I, I made that a rule with everything except textbooks. Like, I would read textbooks because, well, that was the way I was trying to be a nonconformist. Is like, read heavy material that other people probably are not reading. But now I'm looking for like lighthearted material that other people are not reading. Like I, I kind of want to seek out novelty. I want to seek out things that I like going to use bookstores and finding like things that look out of print, um, about subjects that I like, uh, because you're going to find ideas in there that might, you might not find anywhere else. They might have been lost. Maybe at some point they were in vogue. Maybe it was a bestseller a long time ago, but, um, I can, yeah, what's a good example of that? Something that isn't young. Um, Abraham Maslow. Now, most people know him from Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. So uh, human beings will, there's an order in which human beings like settle their, their basic needs. Like there's like uh, water and food, basic sustenance to survive. You seek those out first, and then once those needs are met, then you seek out more long-term ones, like, do I have a place to live? You know, am I safe where I live? It just kind of goes up. There's this hierarchy, and at the very top is self-actualization. Like, are you doing all you could do as a person to contribute to the world, and are you are you doing your best? Um, a lot of people don't get to self-actualization, but... Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which most people learn about in Psych 101, or, or I learned about it in Sociology 101 when I was in college. At some point I was like, Sociology, yeah, I'll be a Sociology major, that's a good idea. I don't know whatever made me think that was a good idea, but, but I learned about Maslow there. Um, but he was a psychologist in the, I, I want to say the 50s and 60s. And I found a, a book by him called The Psychology of Science. And it was written in 1966. Yeah, it's uh, You can find it out there, but it's not in print any longer. In which he was making a case against analyzing human behavior, like basically doing psychology the way you do other scientific fields. Because he said that, well, science looks at things in the ag aggregate. Things, science looks at things abstractly. It looks at things as generalization. You know, so a scientist can never just analyze one bunny rabbit. You know, if you're a, what the, a rabbitologist, whatever, scientists who study rabbits, you can't just look at one rabbit and describe that. You have to, like, make conclusions about the rabbit that would generalize to all rabbits, you know, or all rabbits of a particular species of a rabbit. And he was like, doing this for human beings just doesn't work because human beings are so diverse. Each human being is an individual, and 
taking this tact with people is just, it's not going to work. It's dehumanizing. We're going to lose sight of things. And he, I haven't read the book, so I can't exactly say what all of his objections were, but that's, I definitely feel that now. I feel like we, we sort of, overgeneralization is definitely one of those cognitive biases that uh, people have. It's like a distortion. And uh, if you've been on Twitter lately during this whole pandemic thing, during all of this, this crazy election year, then you know it's a, it's a tendency that people jump to very quickly. People will overgeneralize um, all the time. And it's probably some strategy to it. There's probably reasons for that. I don't think you can always consider individual cases. Otherwise, your brain would be overwhelmed. You have to, you have to be reductive to a point. But if you're trying to help somebody as a psychologist, you have to help that individual and not help what the individual seems to represent to you in the aggregate. Like he's a member of a population of, it's like psychologists say now, like, what is, I don't remember what the term for it is, but you, you don't say I'm, I'm treating somebody who's anxious. I'm treating a human being who has anxiety. So their symptoms are just secondary to who they actually are. You know, they're not, they're not depressed. They're a person with depression. Yada, yada, that sort of thing. So that's, that, that's interesting. I mean, he's probably not the only person to make that case. And that, that case is probably still being made even today. But uh, the way he makes it, I mean, he's a very smart psychologist. I'm, I'm actually looking for much of his other work. It was more popular. Um, and stuff like that. Finding the books that other people are not reading. It may, may not even be accessible anymore. So they have a bunch of this bookstore has a bunch of stuff that's written by Jungian psychologists about various aspects of, of life, love, and all that. So I, you know, I've been going over there and kind of picking those up. I have way more about Jungian psychology, analytical psychology, and uh, mythology, and uh, yeah, like I'm not going to be able to read it all, probably ever. There's no reason for me to. It's just kind of like just the thing I'm collecting right now. This is what I do. I think if I find things that are, I find something that I'm interested in and I go like collect some books on it and I thumb through them. I do, you know, read a healthy portion of them. Um, but yeah, that's just my way of staying sane. And it's, I'm really glad that I can, like, I did that a couple weeks ago. Like last week I went and sold some books in San Jose at Recycle Bookstore. Um, yeah. And it was, it was so nice to be back in a bookstore. Just like, wasn't that crowded. You had to be like careful about navigating your way around. Yeah. Ah, excuse me. Getting on to be 11. Like the, the social distancing was kind of, um, you had to be careful. But, it was uh it was nice to be back in a bookstore and just like being able to browse things, stumble upon things that maybe you didn't come looking for. I really, really enjoyed that. I was, I've been doing that every day this week, going running on the beach, but I've been going over to that little bookstore and uh, just sort of 
thumbing through things. Um, yeah, I kind of forget now what life was even like before all this happened. Did we? Did, at some point, I think I was employed. I think I had a job, and I think I did things, and I, I like I had to get on the train and commute to that thing, and then. I would go out and, and do things in public. I'd go see movies. I feel like that all used to happen. That feels like so long ago. Like how, what is it, June? It's July now. Jesus. Yeah, it's years flying by. And summer's flying by. Anyway, what else? What else we got? It's not like there's a lack of things to talk about. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I never struggled to, to figure out what to say. I just don't, um, sometimes it's like, do I want to go into that right now? Like, I'm thinking all these things. Like, do I really want to start talking about that? It's pretty late. Why don't you just wind this down? I don't know. I did have a thought for, well, I was running. I wish I could, I wish I could record my thoughts while I was running because they tend to be novel and interesting. At least to me. They're things I'd want to explore further or write down or record. Um, but I can never remember them. Um, but I had an idea for a story about, um, I guess a scientist. And I kind of, I kind of caught this bug from, from Carl Jung. Uh, briefly, he has this idea of synchronicity, which it's kind of like those things that happen in your life that feel like kind of weird coincidences. And you're like, hmm, that's odd. But you don't think much about them because anyway, he, he noticed these things happening in his life and he, decided that there was actually something to them. And what he called it was synchronicity. I guess you could call it meaningful coincidence. And the example that he gives in the book that he wrote about this, um, he had a patient that was very, very intellectual and very resistant to engaging in the therapeutic process. Um, there's a rational explanation for everything. And he was having trouble getting through to her. And so he's analyzing her dreams, as he did as the modern shaman. And she was talking about a, a scarab, like a golden scarab that she had dreamed about the night before. And Young's sitting there doodling, and he looks over. He hears it like a tapping at the window. And he looks over, he goes over and opens the window, and like a, a scarab flies in and it's like a red scarab I think that had like kind of a tint to it that looked like gold and the scarab was trying to like get in through his window and it was an unusual time of year and place to be seeing this particular kind of insect so he, he took it over to the woman and said like here's your scarab and that apparently broke her out of her 
like she there was something she couldn't explain. She thought that was so weird that she had this dream about a scarab and suddenly there's this scarab that her therapist is, you know, bringing over to her. So things like that. It's like if you if you think of somebody that you haven't really thought of in years and then like 10 minutes later you get a call from that person. That sort of thing. Like these these sort of things happen but we just they're singularities, like so they can't really be studied in the scientific sense. Scientists, science is basically based on frequentist statistics and repeated trials. So if you can replicate the conditions of something and repeat it over and over again, you can probabilistically say, this is most likely to happen. Or this will happen with this frequency, or this will happen with this other frequency. Um, but you can you can basically repeat things and figure them out. Now, a lot of what happens in our world is not based on you can't do repeated trials. Um, so a lot of things can't be investigated scientifically. How the hell did I get on this? Where the fuck was I going with this? Um, Jesus, maybe this means I just hang this up. Uh, hold on. Okay, got it. Got it. Um, no, I was, I was thinking about it as an idea for a story. So there are a lot of things in this world you couldn't actually investigate scientifically. And the, the specific example I'll give is when I was running on the beach, like there was a lot of seagulls just sort of like crouched down and then resting. And so I tried to like do an experiment with them. Like I, I would be running towards one and I would get out of the way. Like I would basically like steer my path kind of strategically towards the last second. So the seagull would see me coming towards it. And like at the last minute, I would like veer away. Like I would move out of its way and kind of go around it so as not to disturb it. And I tried to figure out like, how far do I have to go out of my way so the thing just doesn't care? And what I wanted to know is, is there a difference? Like let's say I'm running and there is a seagull in my way. Like I can see it up ahead. If I keep going straight in a straight line, I'm gonna hit this seagull and it's gonna have to like fly away or else I'm gonna step on it. Um, let's say I'm doing that. The seagull looks over and sees me coming towards him. And then at the last second, I kind of veer away, like maybe 10 feet out, I'll, I'll steer myself and adjust course and go around him, give him a wide berth. Um, is the seagull smart enough to know that, uh, you know, I just, I, he saw me coming towards him and then I veered away. So it's, I'm purposefully avoiding him. So he knows I don't have to fly. I don't have to freak out and cause this guy's, this guy's handling it. Uh, versus let's say I'm running on a trajectory that's going to put me wide of the seagull. And at the last minute I veer towards him. Like I turn and start jogging, not not directly at him, but more towards him than my original trajectory was. Would that provoke a, a reaction? Would he say like, whoa, that the, this person just changed course. That's not what was supposed to happen. Like they, can they extrapolate in their heads like where I was going to go and realize that I'm suddenly coming closer to them than I would have. Um, 
And I realize this is the kind of thing you can't actually test. Um, because like a seagull is always going to be different. They might be oriented differently. Their attention might be somewhere else. Like whatever's going on in the brain of the seagull is going to be different. Even if you could use the same seagull, you can't like reproduce the initial conditions of that experiment and repeat it uh, to the point where it would make, you, you could like reach any kind of conclusions in a scientific fashion. Now, maybe that's the wrong way to set up this experiment. Maybe if you want to learn about seagull cognition in particular, is it aware of what human beings are doing the way I just described? Then there's maybe a, a I'm not a scientist. There may be a better way of setting up this experiment. But the thought I had was, imagine you have a character in a story and this character is able to go back to a, a restore point in time. Um, let's say they can just, they can set one up and then with whatever, they just, they're just an ability they have. They can go back to that restore point. There's a limit to it. So it can't be that, that, that can't be over a certain maximum length. But basically like a, a way of controlling like Groundhog Day. You can put yourself in a time loop if you want. Um, but you have control over it. Like basically the, the character has control over doing it. And it's not like the Tom Cruise movie, like Edge of Tomorrow, where they have to die in order to reset the clock. That's just something they can do. So you could, you could basically re, you could basically set up these initial conditions over and over again and kind of play with them, do repeated trials. And you can learn things about the world that no one else could. And that's, that's what I thought was like, I'm trying to figure out what you could do with this premise because we, we know if you were to start like a story like this, where there's a guy who has this ability, we, we know what he would do. Um, because we've seen this movie before, basically he would just try and use his advanced knowledge going into a situation to win the love of Andy McDowell. I mean, let's face it, probably not even that. If, if there's a guy who's able to do this, you know exactly what he would do. Your, your average red-blooded, testosterone-filled male is just going to use this to get laid. You could approach a pretty woman in a bar and just keep trying different tacks over and over and just keep resetting the approach and trying new strategies until something clicked. And at any point, um, you just create a new restore point. And if things go south, just go back and, you know, and you, you could just keep working at this until you, you basically could just make sure you, you'd always be able to get laid. And I think that's what most guys would do with this. Um, but I'm kind of thinking like maybe that's the wrong way to think about it. Like there's what kind of person would do what I just described? Like they would they would be able to like investigate the world. Um, in a way that nobody else could. Like if they could make conclusions about, like for example, how seagulls react to humans um, in a way that nobody else ever could. And maybe it's the kind of, this is the kind of ability that if you had it, you wouldn't share it with that many people, if anyone. 
And in order to avoid the whole, I'm just going to get laid thing, let's, um, let's have the person, let's say, be like an Asperger's case. If they have a little bit of autism. So they're really not that attuned to women. They don't really care about women. They care about something else. And so they just, they're able to like learn these things about the world. And so they're just a rarefied individual. They're kind of a loner. And they're able to like learn things that no one else does and put things together that nobody else can. And they can't really share the knowledge because anybody they share it with would be like, well, how the hell did you learn that? How could you possibly prove that? That's unprovable. Guy has a method of proving it. I thought that would be an interesting premise for a short story. I, I don't think I want him running on the beach assessing seagull behavior, but a character who has that ability, you you could do something interesting with that, I think. Uh, so that's one idea I'm, I'm kind of toying with. Ah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's 11 o'clock. I think I was up very, very early um, today. So I'm definitely fading. Probably sounds that way. So I'm going to cut this off. Hey, you out there in pandemic land, hope you're doing well. Hope you're healthy. Hope you stay healthy. Take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. Um, wear a mask even if you don't believe in it because uh, you know I won't go into that. Take care of yourself. Till next time. Cheers. <laughs>